Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. This time last week, we talked about basketball potentially returning in the WNBA and in the NBA. There were rumors and reports of what it could look like if and when it did return. And now we have an actual update, at least regarding the NBA side, with the league's Board of Governors and the Players Union approving plans for a 22-team, eight-game wrap-up to the regular season, followed by a potential play-in tournament for those eight seeds in the playoffs, and then to resume the season that was suspended starting July 31st at Walt Disney World. Candace, what were your initial responses, uh, reactions to this news? Well, I think I share everybody's excitement. There was something about it not being finished, like unfinished business. Like once you start something, I grew up in the household, you finish it. So that's kind of how I felt the NBA had to come back. But looking at it from a player's perspective, I know that these stars are going to be very excited to compete for a championship. But the big problem I saw was ending October, like the finals last game is October 12th. The problem is going to be the short off season. And you've got to think as a star player, you think about, we would hope Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers would be in the, you know, Western Conference finals, the Lakers, you got Giannis Antetokounmpo. You have all these stars that are going to be playing until that time. And then you're going to start training camp probably five weeks later. I mean, how do you monitor that? Well, and with really no off-season, like this cannot be considered an off-season. This was not an off-season. These players had to, at least the ones with some foresight, had to stay in some semblance of playing shape. They weren't able to go on vacation for a bevy of reasons. So this isn't an off-season that they're now returning from. So what, it'll just be a several weeks long off-season before then playing the entirety of an 82-game regular season? And then what does that do to the following season? Are we now having the playoffs in June, July, August, September? I mean, if you, not as a player, as a mother, hear that your schedule is now drastically changing, which drastically changes the schedule of the entirety of your family, how do you respond to that? Those are all questions that I think the MBPA are going to have just in terms of player safety. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have eight teams that will not have played for eight months. Right. Yeah. So it's like you have the theory, I guess they're testing the rust versus rest theory. You know, the teams that win in four games and sweep, and then they sit there for 10 days. Right. And it's like, is it better to rest or is it better to have rhythm and play? And it's like, that's kind of what this will be. It'll be eight teams that are in the bottom of the league that don't play for eight months. So you would think that those players on the team, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but maybe some of those players on the team aren't the most motivated to work out and do things. So then I just feel like the worst get worser. That's not really a word, but I wanted to say it. I feel like you can say it. But also consider the teams that aren't being invited. Those are, of course, it's easy to look at the standing and say, well, those are the worst teams in the NBA, given they're also among the youngest teams in the NBA, which means for eight months as you're starting a career, let's say a guy like Trey Young, perhaps, doesn't get the opportunity to play NBA-level competition, what does that do to set back a team like the Young Hawks? Those are all the questions. And then you think about these players that are going into the draft this year. Are they going to hold regular workouts? 
what is the expectation for them to be in shape when you're not able to have facilities? You have teams that are taking chances on these 19, 20 year old kids that aren't going to come to the table maybe the best that they could because they haven't played basketball for seven months, eight months. I think we also need to consider, I don't see a lot of consideration for it. And perhaps it's because it's summertime and we've all collectively decided that we're somewhat done with it. But there is still this very real COVID-19 virus that was the reason for the season suspension in the first place. And there is still no treatment for it or vaccine. So you're also taking a risk with your health and with the health of those around you. Yes, you are. I think that's what a lot of the leagues are seeing with players, with everything that's going on in the world. There's been little thought towards basketball the last couple of weeks. And I think everybody headspace wise is in a different place. Uh, for good reason. For good. Yeah, for good reason. And, and there's just so many things and so many questions, but at the same time, if anybody's going to figure it out, if any organization is going to figure it out, it's going to be the NBA. Kristen, I turned on you know, television and I've been looking for sports on TV and I found baseball and it was, I believe in South Korea and they were playing baseball and they had like stuffed animals behind home plate. Yes. How does that work? Cranking in crowd noise and putting stuffed animals in the seats to try and simulate a full arena, a full stadium. We had this conversation and it seems like every single well, every sentence kind of ends with a question mark still at this point. I don't know the answers. I don't think you know the answers. I don't envy those who have to make decisions, knowing that they have to consider all of these questions as well. What all can you tell me at this point about where the WNBA stands with these kind of conversations? I think there are still a lot of questions with the WNBA. There's a lot of players that have to factor in a lot more. You know, the NBA players, that's their job. They play here in the United States. And they don't play on another team other than maybe their national teams, which will get pushed back with the Olympics next year and the season going as long. So that's another question, Kristen. But for us in the WNBA, a lot of players have to factor in overseas because the overseas is where they, where we make the majority of our money. So if overseas is starting in October, we're in the bubble till October. I, I just think that there's a number of questions that everybody has. And we're trying to do our best to make sure that we're going to play in a safe environment and it be beneficial. I mean, you got to be in the right mind to be able to go to a bubble. I mean, Kristen, I want to poll people. This is what I want to do. Like, would you go and work in a bubble for your set, like for the individual's salary? Right. Like not, not Chris Paul, like you said, not Chris Paul's salary. Right. We're not asking you guy or girl who's listening. Will you play, you know, basketball in a bubble for millions of dollars. We know the answer to that is yes. The answer for both of us would probably be yes as well. No. Be hell yeah. Where do I sign yeah. up? <laughs> no, we're asking, like, would you do your job for your salary or, as I've seen proposed in several of these reports, a fraction of your salary away from your family for months at a time, knowing the risks that still exist? Because the natural fan response is, well, you get paid money to play a game, that's what you're going to have to go and do. No, still, you're the best in the world, you and the WNBA and these guys that are in the NBA, the best in the world at the job that you do. I'm not asking average Joe if he's the best in the world at the job that he does and to do the same thing. Just you, 
doing your job, would you be willing to do it? I mean, I think it's a fair question because if it's being asked of you all, then it should be asked just in general. Is this a fair ask we're making? Drop the mic. I I mean, (laughs) I I think that this has been a segment of questions. I I don't know if we help to answer any of them, but I don't think there are direct answers to any of these questions that we just asked. Right. Which, you know, maybe this time next week we'll have more answers because this time last week we talked about what a potential return to play plan and it was just all rumors and reports at that time. And now it's, oh, hey, look, it actually exists and here's how it's going to work. And so again, maybe this time next week we'll have more answers. Kristen, I think the best way is like when, when we don't know the answer, you ask somebody else. And our next guest. Yes. Lloyd Pierce. We might be able to ask him a few of these questions. Yeah, we'll make him figure it out. (laughs) There is a new head man here in the ATL run the Hawks, Coach Lloyd Pierce. He has established a pretty interesting culture. He said it's a culture made of spirit, energy, ball movement, body movement, and player development. for you head coach of the Atlanta Hawks Lloyd Pierce is in the building today so excited to welcome in a Hawks head coach Lloyd Pierce I would imagine probably just a couple of miles away from where I am right I'm in Brookhaven there you go I could probably jog to your house I wouldn't that would be too (laughs) ambitious for me but I probably could we were just talking though before welcoming you in about the NBA's uh, return to play plan and what it means for some of these teams that, you know, you look at the rankings and say, okay, well, the worst teams in the league are being left out, but also the young teams in the league are being left out. And we thought you were the perfect person to ask. Just you've got this eight-month stretch with some of these younger guys who are really getting their NBA careers off the ground and learning to play together and learning to play playoff-level basketball and don't have the opportunity to compete here. How do you keep your team ready this, well, do we call it an (laughs) offseason? I honestly don't know how to answer that, and that's what we're working on right now. I think it's a you know, a lot of the conversations we've had early on have been about competitive advantage and how do we keep that neutralized across the board where we're not going to Orlando and, and we understand that. And so now we're at a competitive disadvantage because we don't get the opportunity not to play games, but we don't get the opportunity to train. And, and those teams do. And then as you look at the potential schedule for when 2021 will start up, a lot of those teams will have up to three months of basketball and at minimum a month and a half of basketball. And so that's a huge competitive advantage. And for a young team like ours, uh, we need game experience. We need to be on the court. We need to get stronger. We need to be in shape. We need to train. We need to play. And so we're trying to figure out what type of uh, level fill that we can be on to just have that competitive advantage to keep up. We're not playing games when we get it, but can we train? Uh, can we scrimmage other teams? There's a proposal that's being sent to the league from the GMs for the other eight teams that aren't going to Orlando just to give us an opportunity. So our guys, you know, nine months without basketball is tough, and some of the unintended consequences are even worse. It's interesting because I, I was looking at the proposal that was sent, and a lot of times within an organization, a lot of decisions are made as a result of the last, yes, you guys were not in the playoffs, but the last 15 games, if you utilize that, you guys just got Clint Capella, a number of young guys on your team trying to implement a system. So 
how do you go into the off season in preparation without being able to even put Clint Capella on the, on the floor and see how you can best utilize that core group? Well, I think the best way is to just treat them as a off season acquisition, you know, and the, the advantage, I just look at it now as an advantage. We had Clint in our locker room, in our facility with our players for three months He's been on all the Zoom meetings, so I know Clint better than knowing him had we signed him you know, now or free agency, I believe, isn't going to start until October. That's a different conversation of getting to know him October and then trying to throw him on the court. I've had a lot of conversations. I've gotten to know, I've gotten to know him. He's gotten to know the players. Because we didn't get him on, and even if we had gotten him on the court, you know, he would have been coming off an injury and missed a substantial amount of time. To think that it was going to be a home run to see him play in those last couple of minute restrictions would have been there. He probably wouldn't have played in every game. You know, there was a, other, a lot of things that, that could have, you know, not been great as well. But I think knowing the person is really the best thing that we have. And it's, it's just like, and we're going to have some free agents. We're going to add some free agents to our roster anyways. We just have one that we already know he addresses the need. And we, we know him a lot better right now. What have some of those conversations or Zoom meetings been then like, especially since your players have found out that they're not going to continue on in the season? A little bit of everything, to be honest with you. You know, it went from, you know, are we going to Orlando to now that we're not going, what's the next plan to what the hell's going on in our world? And, you know, can we talk about that? And so it's, it's uh, like everyone else, there's so much going on. And, you know, I, I think the beauty of this proposal, it, it gives us a little bit of time to just decompress and see that if we do get an opportunity to train from July to August, this at least gives us some stability for a short period of time to be together, to train. And then we can kind of think, all right, now we're done. We'll get a month off. And then when we come back, we'll be just as normal as any other offseason. But the Zoom meetings have been all over the place. They had to hear me be emotional uh, and one of the meetings, and then I was able to listen to them and just express how they've been feeling uh, with regards to all the off-court stuff in another meeting. And then our last meeting was really just about, you know, the timeline of what's next with regards to basketball. Candace, it sounds like uh, our podcast, actually. Like, <laughs> this is exactly... Is basketball coming back? Is basketball not coming back? What is actually going on in the world around... I that's how it's been. It's been a number of, of Zoom meetings and, and all that. But along with the Zoom meetings, I've been fortunate enough to be able to hop on one of your coaches' clinics. And, you know, this, if we can call it an off-season, it's really nice to be able to be on one of those Zoom calls and see as many coaches that you're impacting from grassroots to college, from high school and all that. I was on there with Kevin. And, um, you know, he was asked to break down film and then you know, he had some questions that he asked me, how important it is, is it for a young player like Kevin, like Trey, to be able to kind of see the game in a different light? There's a lot of times that coaches, they tell players the way to look at film, but you're a coach that asks players, what do you see um, in, in this film breakdown? The clinics were great. And I think I got a lot of compliments from the coaches that participated in. Thank coach, glad that you were able to do this. We finished it last Wednesday. We did 10 straight weeks. Uh, selfishly for me is what you just talked about. I, I was able to get Trey on, Kevin on, Bruno, Cam, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Vince Carter. That's very selfish of me. But one of the things you're trying to do with a young team is help them get outside of their comfort zone. And, and that's not comfortable for them to speak about what they see on film 
to strangers and to ask questions to you and Steve, like Kevin did that day. Um, but to, I'm trying to get these guys to use their voice on the court. I'm trying to get them to use their voice off the court. I'm just trying to get some personality come out of these young guys. Um, the clinics were, uh, gave me an opportunity to do that. So selfishly, I, I, I stole some victories with our players, getting them to use their voice differently. And you mentioned some of those conversations have been harder. We did, though, see that the Coaches Association is establishing this committee now on racial injustice and reform. Not only are you involved, Greg Popovich is involved, Steve Kerr is involved, David Fisdale, uh, our Stan Van Gundy, our coworker, Stan. What is that committee hoping to accomplish? We want to be one of the groups, and it can't just be us, but we want to be one of the groups that's trying to lead the charge and keeping the conversation alive about racism, about the struggles of African-Americans in our country and the history of that. I think what we're all seeing right now is what some call an isolated incident, and we've, we've continued to call it an isolated incident. This one in Minneapolis and this one in here, and we know it's a lot deeper than that. We're being, we've been educated about uh, everything that, that's gone on. And we just know that because we're all sheltered in during this pandemic, we're forced to watch what happened in Minneapolis, but we can't be like what we've done in the past, which is go about our normal lives and transition on everything else and then move on. And so we want to be one of the groups that, that, that keeps the conversation going about police brutality, about African-Americans and the racial discrimination, but then really about the history of, of why uh, racism exists systemic racism and blatant racism, why it continues to exist because we haven't addressed it as a country. Lloyd, I follow you on Instagram. There was a very impactful post that you had after the death of George Floyd, where you took a picture and you took it up close. And I want you to go in and explain the meaning behind that of why you took it close and and if you could go through and just talk about your caption that you had, because it was a huge impact for me to read it. The best way I can explain it is that I, th this isn't a new problem as an African-American man uh, in terms of seeing another African-American man killed, in terms of seeing the fear of an African-American man around law enforcement. You have these fears and you're, you know how to act, you know how to respond, you know how to go into this defense mode, you know how to, there's so many ways <laughs> that we've been conditioned to understand that it's possible that it could happen because of the color of your skin and it's possible that it could happen because uh, you're just looked at and perceived as a threat. And so I think because I do have a platform, because I do get to speak to the media and people can recognize me, they say, hey, there goes Coach Pierce. Some people may think that's privilege. I, I'd never, not for once, have I ever thought that that's privilege or access to anything. And so if I zoom out, you say, oh, that is Coach Pierce. Hey, Coach, how you doing? If I zoom in, I'm just a black man. And you don't know if I'm a coach. You don't know if I work at the, at the store up the street. You don't know anything other than I'm six foot three. I'm dark skinned. I'm a black man. And for a lot of people, that's a threat. And so I just wanted to share that because I don't think the George Floyd incident hits home if we're in normal life. If we're just doing our normal thing and traveling from different countries and we came back and we saw another black man killed, you know, and the report didn't say anything about why, we just move about, we just keep going. But most people react when it's close to home, when it's someone you know, someone they know, and it hits you emotionally or personally, then you feel like, I can't believe that happened to such and such. And so for me to post that, I wanted them to know that could easily be me. And 
Don't wait until it happens to me for you to be connected to the incident. Understand that it's going to happen to someone else again because we haven't addressed the problem and we need to address the problem. We've often seen veterans, leaders, captains, guys who are in positions where I think younger players would look up to them, more confident in speaking out. But as I've seen in the last couple of weeks, it's these younger players that have, have really taken it on themselves, not only to speak up, but to show up as well, including uh, Trey. How impressed have you been with some of these younger guys who may not have accomplished as much as some of the leaders that we often recognize within the NBA, may not be as well recognized, but are still saying, you know what, we're going to help lead this charge. The players have, have empowered themselves over the last couple of years in our league specifically. And they've done it by being able to create a brand for themselves. You see a lot of players in marketing opportunities, endorsement opportunities. You see them try and brand themselves, learn a little bit about business and what they can do off the court. And so this is, this is no surprise. I think, our, I think the generation of players are, are educated they're trying to be educated. They're informed. They stay informed. Social media and, and, and all the resources that they have, it keeps them informed. And so when it's time to speak, they're used to speaking out in public. They're used to being in front of large crowds. They're used to the pressure of what social media brings and can bring. And so I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You know, the whole shut up and dribble thing was a, was a like, are you kidding me? Why would you, why would you ask someone with such a platform to just be limited to one thing? You know, this is a great opportunity for an athlete to use their platform to do good. So why would you tell them to shut up and dribble? And I think because of that, because we've already seen that attack, players got louder and they got more vocal and they got more aggressive to talk about things other than basketball to show that they are more than just athletes and they want to be looked at as more than just athletes. I've always prided myself on not just being an athlete or a coach or whatever the case may be. And so I think players are doing the exact same thing. And it's partly because they've been attacked and they don't want to be limited to that. You've been huge with your young team on making sure that they experience the world, not just on the basketball court, but I, I saw, you know, this past season, you guys went to D.C. You guys went to the African-American History Museum in D.C. Uh, around Atlanta, sometimes you go to, to different sites. Atlanta is a city that has so much history for African-Americans, has so much history to do with civil rights. Um, I don't know if many people have been able to make it down to the Dr. Martin Luther King's house. That's it's something everybody should see. How important is it just because you are representing Atlanta for the Hawks to be in the community, to be a part of this fight for social justice, to, to fight for equality, not just on racial issues, but, but across the board? I've had a lot of speakers come in and speak to our team. A lot last year. We had a lot last year. And then we did what you're talking about, a day in the A, where we just got on a bus and, and went to the Outcast mural and went to Martin Luther King's home and the, the center. And we went to Slutty Vegan, a vegan restaurant, which is black, Black-owned, local Black-owned restaurant. I do it because I think it, it gives you an opportunity to really know about where you live. And this city is, is and Kristen, you know, this city is special. I, I think it's truly a special city. I think it's, I think it's unique. I think people support each other in a tremendous way here in this city and want to. And Candace, from your experience, just playing overseas, like one of the things I always say, you need diversity in your locker room. And when you've played overseas and you're in different cultures, 
you're the foreigner. And so you want to learn more about what they, what they do in, in Russia or what they do in Italy. Uh, and then you have a Spanish teammate that comes on and, and they bring that cultural experience. You become a different person when you come back after having that experience. Well, if we don't have diversity in our locker room, we need to create diversity. And that's why some of those field trips are important. And that's why getting to know this city is important. If we're all the same and we just talk about the same old stuff, and like we haven't been through anything, there is no adversity, there is no diversity, and we'll just go through life getting nothing out of it. And I just want our guys to, you know, at the end of the day, when I leave here, I want them to say, man, I learned a lot when Coach was there uh, on and off the court. And that's, that's my charge as a head coach is to educate our players and help them become better people, and that's important. And we can talk about, you know, the leadership of some of those younger guys, but there was one player on your roster who brought up your average age by a lot uh, this season. And unfortunately, we've seen that it is probably the last that we will have seen of the half-man, half-amazing Vince Carter. I think I'd be remiss in my responsibility if I let you go without at least asking about what it's been like to be able to, to coach him, to work alongside him, and to be able to watch him interact with some of these younger players both on and off the court. Well, it's crazy because like us all, like all of us, we, I used to just literally watch ESPN every right. night yes. just to yeah, see we- like, <laughs> what the hell did Vince do in tonight's game? Like who does this in a game? You know, he feels old when like his head coach is like, I grew up watching <laughs> you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's, it's unreal. Like the stuff he would do in games. And so when I got the job and we spoke at summer league about the possibility of him joining our roster, it was needed. We had Jason Richardson and Elton Brand when I was in Philly and having that, that veteran presence and guys with credibility, I knew we needed it here in Atlanta. And so when Vince was able to join, and more than anything, I just knew I had a veteran with, with credibility in the locker room at all times. And, and I don't care what else he would have accomplished or didn't accomplish. Having that was the most important thing. And just his humility, um, his expertise, his experience, and his professionalism was important for our young guys to see. It's unfortunate that we didn't get to go to Toronto at the end of the year and we didn't get to have a last home game for Vince at the end of the year. Um, You know, he had his baby when we went out West early in the year, so he didn't get that proper send off in LA. Like you just, so we're trying, we're actually trying to do something in July. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Is there any plan for a, a proper send off then for Vince? We're trying to do something, you know, if they allow us to, to come back and train as a team and we get everybody back here in Atlanta, we're going to do an event, uh, just, just the team, just doing something fun with Vince. You know, he's a big golf guy, so I think we're going to try something along those lines. Candace, a few years ago, Vince came to work with us at NBA TV during the playoffs. It was, I think it was the 2015-16 season. It was the finals that the Cavs won. He, that season, said, yeah, you know what? I think I'll try another. I, I, maybe I'll go one more. And then it was like one more after that and <laughs> one more after that. Now he's played the entirety of a college career's worth of four more seasons. <laughs> I don't know how. LP, like, like you, I, I enjoyed turning on SportsCenter. I enjoyed watching Vince Carter, but I enjoyed – watching the highlights and seeing if Anthony Parker's hand was contesting a jump shot or if he, if my brother was like under the rim trying to avoid getting dunked on. But has there been a moment where you have to realize at 40 years old, because I've seen some of the dunks that he's done at 40, there were calls for him to even enter into the dunk contest. So I don't know if like just being around him, it's like the fountain of youth just like pours and you just like you, 
get it. But how is he able, like, is, does he eat a specific way? I'm just asking. I just want to know. I'm not asking for a friend. I'm asking for me. <laughs> he loves Camus. There you go. We drink Camus when we're on the road and we have our team dinners. I've been looking. He, he's, there's nothing to it. There's, there's days in practice where he just wants to show off a little <laughs> bit and he, he'll show us he still has some of those things. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I think he's just one of whoever, whoever gave him that term, half man, half amazing. They knew way in advance. Uh, 22 years, still able to do the stuff he's able to do is extremely impressive. And before I move on, since you brought up your brother, AP, I got to give your other brother a shout out because it's his birthday. It is his birthday. Happy birthday to Marcus. Yes. We always (laughs) give Marcus a hard time because whenever we go places, he's the only non-athlete. Okay. (laughs) But he's a doctor. But he is a doctor. But he is a doctor. Everybody's like, what happened to you? And we're like, well, he's a doctor. But before we let you go, uh, Coach, and we so appreciate you just joining us and covering, well, all of everything on and off the court. Uh, But as you coach this team that so often we have these conversations about the next in the NBA, you know, the, the up and coming in the NBA, the Hawks are in that conversation. So if we were to have a conversation a year from now, where would you hope that your team would be? Well, I I truly think this team, you know, Travis has done a tremendous job building the team, you know, to have five players and we call them the core five is Kevin, Trey, uh, John, DeAndre and Cam Reddish to have those five all averaging double figures and John's the only one in his third year, both of the, all the other four, all two years or less. We know what we're capable of building here. And, and they're all, I think John is maybe 22 and he's the oldest. Like they're not even close to reaching their peak. And so to add Clint Capella, we have a ton of cap space. We need free agents. We need some, some, some competitiveness. We need some maturity in the locker room. We're going to miss Vince. I'm not going into the season saying, you know, we're, we're going to squeak into the playoffs. We, we have to have a team that – we have to be a team that changes our mindset. This should be – we should have a chip on our shoulder, not being invited to Orlando, not being able to finish this season. I've said it that, you know, we're, we're going for the playoffs next year, but I don't want to be squeaking in for the eighth spot. I think we have to have a different change in our mindset about being able to show up every single night we need depth and free agency we have our young core we're adding clint capella Uh, i don't want to talk about growth and development next year i want to talk about what we were able to accomplish in the playoffs i want to talk about what we were able to do to fight for seeding and make that tremendous step when you look at okc way way back two years they struggled and then they had like a 20 plus game increase um and it's it's just the mindset and so we have to have that kind of mindset going into next year lloyd I, i would be remiss if i did not mention your baby girl, Maya, who, uh, you know, is just an amazing, amazing little girl. And I love the relationship that you all have. Uh, I know this summer I was looking forward to coming to play in Atlanta in front of you because you attend uh, a number of Atlanta Dreams games. You attended last year with my brother. Unfortunately, I was injured and couldn't play. But but what is delayed is not denied. So I hope to see you, um, you know, next summer Hopefully, we'll be playing outside of a bubble next summer. But I hope to see you and your daughter. Your relationship with her is beautiful. And- Maya Joy needs some WNBA games to go watch. There you go. We were, we'll, we're, we'll courtside. Go. we're courtside at the dream game. She loves it. Yes. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's just the unintended consequences. There's so many things that we're missing out on. And, and at her age, um, I was enjoying these type of opportunities where we get to do things like that and grow through the sport. So I'm looking forward to whenever it resumes again as well. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate you. Thank you guys for having me.
good. What's good? <laughs> What's good? We're changing it up a little bit, Kristen, from what we did before. What's good? We're still going to bring light, shed a light on the good that's happening in the world, but we're also going to shed a light on the action that has been taken within the world and how important it is to, to not just talk about it, but to be about it and to, to walk the walk. And so this past week, uh, the WNBA sent out shirts and in honor of gun violence awareness and the intersection between gun violence and racism in America. And last Friday, we were asked to wear orange and in honor of that. And I thought that it was a huge message. Uh, one of my teammates wore orange and posted on her Instagram, Tierra Ruffin Pratt. And she said that she was wearing it in honor of her cousins that were killed. And basically it's about supporting gun violence prevention and racial justice organizations so that we can end the disproportionately impacts that it has on communities of color. And so I thought it was a great message, brought awareness to something. But in turn, I don't know if you've been on Instagram today, but there's been this share the mic that has been passed around. And it's basically Black women that are speaking from a different platform. So white women are offering their platform, Black activists from a range of categories. They're CEOs that have a platform to get on and speak to a different audience, which I thought was so crucial because I think, as we've seen, if you speak to an audience that agrees with you all the time, shares your same viewpoint, sees the world the way you do, I think that you start to get yes and that's your world. But you kind of have to step outside of yourself and that's where change is going to occur. And so I think this is a huge action step in the correct way to maybe affect not everybody, but some people that are willing to listen and really ask themselves questions. Also within the WNBA, uh, one thing that made me smile this week, we're watching these protests, especially in Atlanta. It's also like 90 degrees outside. Candace, you haven't been here in a little while. Uh, we're dealing with a different weather setup than you are out there in sunny California. And I saw not only our Turner Sports teammate, but Atlanta dream star, Renee Montgomery, standing outside next to these protests, next to these marches that are happening just miles outside of our, of our doors. And she's handing out water bottles. And just such a simple gesture. Like, I'm recognizing it's hot and you're doing something important. And so I'm going to show up and, and address a need. Like she saw a need and addressed it. And I thought it was not only powerful that she chose to do so and to show up, but she set up a way for others to be able to get involved. And so I think a lot of what I've seen this week is, well, I don't really, I mean, I don't have a hundred million dollars like Michael Jordan does to be able to affect real change. Like what, if I have $5 or $10, like what does that actually do? Like what does that affect? What does that change? And so again, you talk about not only noticing something good, but, but calling others to action. I thought that that would be, you know, an outlet that others could, could plug into is simply searching at GoFundMe, Renee Montgomery Foundation, and you can give, even if it's just $5, there you go. That's a couple of water bottles that she's going to stand outside and give to those who are marching in the face of racial injustice. And if you feel like what I have to give is too small, it's big enough to buy a water bottle and it's big enough to be involved even in, in that seemingly small capacity. So important for people to be involved. 
even at the smallest level, because that change can affect a person yeah, and, and affect the way that they think and that they view the world. You had that feeling where you've really had an impact on somebody. It just, it's like a, you can't even describe it, that feeling that you have when you know that something you did or something you said or the way that you're living has truly impacted somebody else. And I think that's where we enter the discussion nowadays is like, what are you doing to make an impact big or small? That's all the time that we have for this episode. But I think with the speed at which we're receiving news on basketball's return, we'll have a lot more to talk about next week, right? It seems that way, both on the NBA, the WNBA front, the world. I mean, we're probably not going to lack conversation next week. <laughs>